Glad you guys made it out tonight, and I also want to extend um, a warm welcome to anybody that's going to catch up with this later on the podcast. If you guys don't know where the podcast is, by the way, we're on Spotify and iTunes, but you can also go to the website, xa-unc.com, and just click on podcast. And not only is this series there, there's dozens and dozens of others that we've done, not only this year, but in years past as well, that are archived there, so you can listen to them when you've got time to listen to them, when you feel ready to listen to them. And if there's anything that, that we say that's a little bit crazy, maybe you want to go back and review it later and then question us on it, that's cool too. By all means, uh, go for it. But we are thrilled that you are with us, whether you're catching up later on the podcast or you're in the room tonight. Hey, we are continuing a series on David. Tonight, on the, what we're going to focus on is leadership, but it's not going to be the way you think of like leadership, right? We're not doing a John Maxwell book up here tonight where these are the five types of leadership, or these are the five things that represent a good leader. We're going to approach it in a little bit different uh, light, as David has shown us how to navigate leadership in particular when leadership is difficult, right? When those over you in leadership are difficult, how do you navigate that? Now, odds are you will lead someone in something at some point in your life. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, probably not me. I'm not really, I'm, I'm more of just the quiet behind the scenes person. I'll just be the kind of the worker, the worker bee type. But odds are you will lead someone or something in something at some point. But even if you think you won't, let me say this, whether you govern someone else or not in this life, you will always govern or lead yourself. And that's the crucial pivot point I wanted to give you tonight as we look at David and his response to leadership and his potential leadership as well. So the first thing I want you to get is this. All leadership originates inside of each person. All leadership originates inside each person. And the Bible in particular, and Jesus' model also being very specific, teaches us that leadership is about servanthood. It's about serving. And so that's a phrase within Christianity that you find quite often, right, is servanthood or being a servant. And so leadership or servanthood is a reflection of each person's heart. Now in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7, through 7, it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What is that? Though He was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to or something to self-promote or to, or to hold it over us, right? Instead, what happens is this. Instead, verse 7, he gave, us, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave or servant. You can put servant in there. And was born as a human being. In fact, one of the last examples that he gives to the disciples right before he's arrested and crucified is he washes their feet, which is like the lowest, the most base level type of service that you could possibly offer at that time. Here is the king of the universe washing people's feet, and giving it as an example of leadership to the very disciples who not long before that were arguing over who was going to be first, who was going to be greatest in the kingdom, right? Who was going to have the biggest and best leadership role? And then he says, if you want to lead, here's what you must do. You must serve at the same time. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he also echoes this. He says, for even the Son of Man, which is a reference to Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the second thing I want you guys to get tonight is leadership equals serving. Leadership is not something to be possessed, right, or pursued or recognized, or certainly to to use it as as a leverage or a PowerPoint over top of people. It is the charge to not only look to your own interest, 
but to look to the interest of others. Not only your own, but to the interest of others. Now, you guys know as we started this series on David, it, it, one of the most famous verses that references David and how God is going to see David. We, he, God tells Samuel this before we even find out who David is. Um, he's a man after God's own heart, right? But what does that mean in real terms? And what does that mean within the scope of you guys possibly leading, governing yourself or leading other people? Well, Proverbs 4 Verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Really a powerful and very straightforward way of putting it. Now, to the writers of the Old Testament and to ancient Israelites in particular, the heart was the center of many things. Okay, Now keep in mind, at this time, they didn't have the understanding of the knowledge that we now have about Neurology, for example, and synapses and neural pathways and all that goes on inside the human brain. So the way they viewed it and the way they wrote about it was the heart was the center of everything that each person was. So what would that include? Certainly included like your physical life, right? They understood that your heart pumped blood throughout your body and that kept you going. But also included, the heart included the idea of your thoughts, your emotions. This is where we get the term brokenhearted from. Right? We've all used that. When we're sad about something, something bad has happened and we're broken hearted because it's the seed of our emotions as well from, the, from this image. And your choices. In other words, the desires of your heart. So we've got choices and emotions and thoughts as well as your physical being wrapped all up in, your, in what it means to be your heart. In essence, it's at the center of all human existence. And it fits hand in glove with, and explains to when Jesus was challenged what the greatest commandment is. You guys remember what he said? Anybody? The first part of it was to love the Lord your God, right? And the first part of that is with all of your heart, with everything, that's with your mind, with your emotions, with your being, with your strength, everything that is you, love God with all of that. Now, of course, David is attempting to do this early in his life. And as far as we can tell, he's lived a pretty good life up until this point that he's brought into the palace. He's already killed Goliath. He's brought into the palace to soothe and help the king, right? He's also been anointed to be king, even though he's quite young still at this point. Now, the king doesn't like David. And so he is even throwing spears at one point. I started to bring a spear I have from when we lived in South Africa, but I didn't know if people would call the cops or whatever, and I came to the building with it. So it's pretty sharp and big and long, and so I didn't bring it. But David's like, I should have brought it, right? I know. I thought about it. But Saul is literally throwing spears at David to kill him because the one in leadership over him is treating them harshly and unfairly. Why? Because Saul does this because his heart is not right before God. Here is the king of Israel who should be leading and setting the example, but his heart is not right. And so he's throwing spears at David. Because in his heart is jealousy, an anger that's ready to pounce on someone the moment that he thinks it's necessary. He's impatient. He's rash. He's even fearful. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, Jeremiah was writing this about the Israelites for generations. They had disobeyed God and treated and had what was called a hardened heart, right? One that wasn't soft and receptive to God. Jeremiah says this, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You could take that and you could say, that's Saul, right? His heart is deceiving him 
to the point that he's acting unjustly or unjustly, right? He's trying to kill David. He's treating others unfairly as well. And so you see a picture of two very different hearts going on at this moment in David's life. Someone who's followed after God to this point with all his heart and knows what it means to be receptive and to hear God's voice and to sing songs to him. And the other one who's fearful and jealous and angry. And that's what's inside his being and his heart. Now, as we follow David along, as you guys heard over the last few weeks, we understand that David has done many things right. He begins, to, after Saul starts to try to kill him, now he takes his men, he flees, and he's hiding out in the wilderness, and, and people are coming to him. He's just trying to stay alive in so many ways. But even in this time, we start to see cracks in David's own heart and the potential for corruption there. In fact, there's a time where... Um, his men have been watching over these, these shepherds and these flocks that have been out near, near where they are, where they're staying, and keeping these people safe. But they're starting to run out of food and supplies because they're living in, in the desert. And so they give up the idea that we're going, David's going to send a couple servants or a couple of their representatives, and they're going to go to this guy Nabal who owns all these, these animals and these servants and so forth and say, listen, we've been guarding and protecting your property and your people for all this time. How about little, we have a little reciprocal action here, right? You send us some food and some supplies and we're sustained and we'll keep protecting and watching all, all your people. Well, Nabal's a particularly nasty and harsh person. And so he rejects David's people. Now you might think, well, that's not good. That's, you know, what would David do then? He's probably going to be mad, right? David's not only mad, he arms 400 of his men and starts going back to Nabal's. Guess what he's going to do when he gets there? He's going to wipe him out right? Abigail, Nabal's wife, finds out about it. She meets him out like halfway with a bunch of supplies and said, my husband acted wrongly. Here, please take. And she becomes a peacemaker and settles it. But it's an indication that the man after God's own heart is starting to show some corruption in his own heart. There's another time we heard about where he's acting, he's pretending to be insane so that he can be taken in by the arch enemy of Israel, the Philistines, and be protected from from his own king. And so in those moments, you see that he's not trusting and being patient and reliant on God at the same time. So he has this within him, and I would venture to say we all do. We all have the same potential that Saul has and the same potential that David has in each of us. Some of you have heard this, let me give this quote before, and I, but I think it's still very relevant. Vaclav Havel was a Czechoslovakian dissident that when the communists were kicked out of uh, Eastern Europe, Vaclav Havel, along with some other dissidents, came to power in Czechoslovakia. And a lot of the Czech people said, we want revenge, we want retribution, all these secret police, everybody that has abused us and hurt us over all these years, we want you to just, just slam the door on them, right? But he said this, and he's echoing actually Solzhenitsyn when he says it. He says, the line between good and evil does not run clearly between them and us, but through each person. In other words, we're all capable of the very terrible things if we let, and good things for that matter, depending on how we care for our heart. And put it another way, one of my favorite, he is my favorite actor. Anybody like Denzel Washington? Always been my favorite actor. Don't know why. He did a movie years ago called Glory's a Civil War movie. And there was a couple of lines in there. It was, to me, it was a little disjointed. It didn't fit what was going on in the storyline, but it fits very well here. Where he's talking to Matthew Broderick's character, and he turns to him, he goes, you know, ain't nobody clean. Be nice to get clean, though. 
And it's a recognition in the dialogue of that particular movie that human beings all have the same capacity for good and evil within them. And therefore, we shouldn't treat one another, believer, non-believer, whatever the case may be, as simply us and them. You know what? It's just us. It's just human beings. And we should take note of that. David took note of that. How do we know that? Because David is a repentant person when he makes mistakes and he sins against God which is very different than what Saul does, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Unfortunately, today, if we put David's story into modern times, he would get canceled pretty quick, I believe, right? Because it's commonly practiced today to cancel someone's voice, authority, even their personhood, if they've made mistakes in the past or present times. By this measure, if you'd put his story of Bathsheba and Uriah, Uriah's husband, Bathsheba, y'all know the story, He sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. He sleeps with her, has a child by her, and then has her husband murdered, right? The same guy that's after God's own heart. If you took that story and you put it in the modern times, David would have been ended right there. He's probably grateful there was no Instagram, Twitter, or any other posse out there to run him down on social media. But what he did have was he had a friend named Nathan who was also a prophet. And... uh, you know, sometimes when you're in the midst of, uh, of, of difficulties, right, and you're trying to make sense of things, you're trying to even guard your own heart as you go through um, life governing yourself, sometimes you can't see yourself very well. Sometimes you need that one person in your life that sees things as they are, and you trust them enough to let them say whatever they need to say to you. It's why when you follow Jesus, you don't do it by yourself. You need at least one person, and hopefully more than one, that you have in your life that you trust and can help you follow Him well. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6 says, It's better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The enemy of your heart, the enemy of your soul, will tell you whatever you want to hear, even if you're wrong. But a true friend will tell you what you need to hear, so that you can come back to a right place and a right heart before God. How do we know David repented after this point? Because this is Nathan's confrontation about Bathsheba and Uriah. Because we read in Psalm 51, David writes in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right steadfast spirit within me. David's heart turns softly again back to God. So what do you want to get? What I want you to get from that? Recognize and own your mistakes. Right? And... Have a friend that can and will speak truth in life to you. Give them permission to do that in your life. You will need it at some point. The other thing that we note in David's behavior along the way is that um, as he guards his heart, he trusts in God's judgment. As we know, Saul not only tries to kill David while he's in the palace by throwing spears at him, he literally creates an army to hunt him down while he's fleeing and trying to get away in the wilderness. And we've Heard that over the last few weeks. But in the course of all that, David has at least three distinct opportunities where he could kill Saul and clear the throne and take over the rightful leadership post that he's supposed to have, that the prophet Samuel anointed him to have since he was young. It's in his power to do it, to take it. And he doesn't. There's even one time where he sneaks into a camp that that Saul and his army are in as they're hunting him. It says that God caused a deep sleep to come over Saul and his men. He goes into Saul's tent, he takes his his spear and he goes out and then he calls out back to the camp to let them know that they're there. And instead of killing Saul there, he gives him the opportunity to repent. 
The interesting thing is, in that moment, Saul does repent. He apologizes to David. He's like, oh, you're right. You're the one with the good heart. I'm the one with the bad heart. I'm sorry. Now, he might have been sincere in the moment of the apology, but how many of you know sincerity only becomes reality through consistency? Right? Because someone might be sincere in the moment and feel bad about a situation or bad about themselves, but if, if sincerity doesn't carry through again and again to action, then you know it's not, not uh, taking root there, and that was the case with Saul. So what do you do in, when you're trying to govern yourself? Somebody over top of you is trying to do you harm. Maybe they're not throwing real spears at you. Maybe you're going to take a job here in the near future where people are throwing other kind of verbal spears at you, right? Or emotional spears at you where they're tearing you down. Like you're doing a crap job. You're not, you're, not, you're not going to measure up to this or, you know, or being just unfair to you, making you work ridiculous hours at the job that you, that you took and you're just not being treat, treated fairly. So what did David do? I think this would help us. David, honestly, in all these situations, is trying at all costs not to turn into Saul. Yeah, he could have killed Saul. He could have taken the kingdom. And guess what? Everybody would have clapped and cheered. Said, you're the man. You're the guy that killed Goliath. You're the guy that, that defeated the Philistines. You're the guy that's not lied. And, 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 and he, you carried yourself beautifully in every way. But what he recognizes in himself is the same capacity to turn into a Saul as Saul has already turned into. What he also sees is the kingdom as belonging to God and not him. Interesting concept in Christianity, this concept of my life belongs to God. It's been bought at a price. It's not my own. They find that in Romans chapter 12. So David is willing to forego the kingship rather than turn into Saul, rather than turn, have a heart in the form and the pattern of Saul and take, abuse his force to maintain his position. How do we know that this is David's heart through all of this? Well, finally, Saul is killed in battle along with his sons, and this is David's moment, right? The king is dead. The enemy killed him. Everybody wants David to step up and now be king, be the leader that you were anointed to be. And what do we find? Does he dance a jig? Does he throw a big party? Does he celebrate all over Franklin Street that the king is dead? Hopefully we get to do that. They're not the king, but you know, maybe we can do that on Saturday night a little bit. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says this, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. So they followed his example. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David cared for him. He was God's chosen leader. And David saw it as that. The interesting thing is David and his men then move into Hebron. And in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4, we find this. And the men of Judah came and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Even after all this, David doesn't go and say, this is mine. The people of Judah, the elders of Judah, actually come to him and anoint him king. He did not seek to claim the kingdom. The elders came to him because after all, it's God's kingdom. After all, my life is His. Here's the last thing, and then we're going we're gonna, to... We were talking about just doing one group, but I think we might do two, do two groups here tonight. We're going to do something a little different in just a moment. Here's the thing. When it comes to leading yourself, and therefore modeling it out 
to other people. You can't control what others are going to say or think about you, right? We all know this. Or even what they will do to you in the course of your life. But I can control how I respond. What I think, what the condition of my heart is and will be, my heart, the center of all that I am and what the Bible says God will ultimately judge. He's going to, guard the, he's going to judge the hearts of every individual, what's truly inside at the center of each of us. My heart is my first and most important leadership responsibility. Your heart is the first and most important leadership responsibility in your life, whether it be your marriage, your job, just who you are as a person in your family, in your suite with your sweet mates, whatever the case, you can, you can lay it out. If your heart is healthy, you'll lead others well, including yourself. You see, the thing is, guarding my heart is the most important thing I can do because out of it flows everything else.